I'm Taylor Strecker, and this is Younger Uncovered, the podcast dedicated to all things younger. This is where we go deep inside the show, asking the questions you really want answered with the writers, directors, and cast members. We're bringing you the stories behind the storylines, straight from the makers of Younger. And today, I'm excited to welcome the mind behind last night's episode, which included butt plugs and peeing in public. Younger writer Joe Murphy, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Back, back, back again. Good to be here. Hello, darling. How you doing? Okay, so this episode was uh, just a blast and a half. Thank and I'm you. sure it was Thank very you. fun to actually shoot as well. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that. We're going to go through the storyline. But before we get into anything, first of all, so how are you? It's been a minute. Or it has been a minute. I know. A yeah. year. <laughs> time, like, time in life has become like time on younger. It's like a flat circle. We've got no idea how long it's been going for. We don't know how old Liza is or was. So, yeah, that's just <laughs> sort of like what my life now is. It's just that. And also the last time I had you on, you were on with Ashley. Oh, God. Uh, everyone loved your podcast. Yeah, yeah. I think we were talking about like binders of dildos in like the first like 30 seconds. So yeah, Mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. without her today, unfortunately. So I might get a word in, but. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So before we get into the details of what happened in tonight's episode, I want to ask you a little bit about the process and preparing to write any and every episode of Younger. Yeah. Like, just like the overall, when you're going to the Younger sphere, like you said, the circle, <laughs> this time lapse, if you will. Like, what? how do you get yourself mentally prepared for that? We have such a good time. It never really feels like you're going to work. We we write over in LA, so we spend like three months together. Um, and so we've kind of usually had like a break, like a month and a half away from each other or two months. So we come in ready with stories and experiences from our life and our relationships. So... Yeah, when we usually meet, um, we kind of spend the first, you know, a couple of weeks just what we call like blue skying. So like just big ideas and what's happening out there in the world right now. And that's when we talked about things like the Me Too movement, which is how we started like last season. And uh, this season, you know, we always try and kind of echo something that's happening in the world and that comes from those kind of blue sky sessions. And then from those, we put up a whole bunch of cards on the wall, all different colours that relate to different characters, and they can be anything from, I guess, like character ideas, story pitches, um, publishing or author stories. We all read as much as we can, obviously, because the show is set in publishing. Yes. And even in this episode, there's a very realistic reflection <laughs> of a famous couple. We'll get to that, <laughs> We'll though. get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. So, yeah, but, like, each episode is kind of, like, putting together a puzzle, you know? Yeah. We, like, we know that some pieces are clear. Like, we knew, like, in this episode that we had to deal with, like, Charles's officially competition. So that's like a corner piece of the puzzle. Like we know we have to put that in. We know where it goes. We know we've got to launch with that. Mm-hmm. Then the rest is sort of like working out exactly like what stories we can tell and what things do we owe of certain characters' arcs, like their emotional arcs. Uh, we also had actual puzzles in the room at one point, but then we were told um, to stop doing those because they were very <laughs> distracting. <laughs> we're like putting like puppies in baskets and we're like, yeah, we really should be breaking stories right now. <laughs> and then also just to go back to something you said that I'm like, really? So you're only apart for like a couple months. I mean, sometimes it's a little longer depending on the schedule and when we can get the stages to shoot on, but... No, and then we're also always in, like, constant contact. Like, we really do have the most hilarious text and email chains together of just stupid memes and like you know we send around like little like articles that we read and so yeah this is how you keep the magic alive i'm getting the secret sauce right here yeah it really is i think it's sort of like darren really encourages us to kind of like be you know be close with each other i think that comes through then in the characters totally would you almost liken it to like you guys are i don't know in a school year together because you get like a little (laughs) bit of a summer break right and then you're like missing each other it's exactly like hogwarts (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> I just wait for my letter to arrive for the next year, and then I'm back there again. That's great. <laughs> In addition to that, do the writers of Younger read the fan comments? <laughs> and if so, do you take them into consideration when you're writing the show? I know I do definitely read them. I read too much. Um, Sometimes I wish I hadn't read as much as I do. Story of my life. I know. (laughs) Yeah, it can be, you know, it's something nice to do when you're sitting on the toilet, but... um... (laughs) (laughs) But I guess our attitude is that when people make a comment, it's so great because it means they're engaged in the show and they want things, but you don't always want to give people what they want. You want to surprise them, you know, and you sort of, if anything, people are asking for something so intensely, then you want to go the opposite way and give them something that is going to shock them. So, because they're like, oh, I knew they were going to do that. Well, is that a general rule or is that that just you like saying, no, I refuse to listen to uh, authority? (laughs) (laughs) You tell me to do something. I, I do love not authority. Want to do it. I love going to Barry's boot camp and getting screamed at. No, no, no. It's 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 more that you know you want to keep the audience on you know on the edge of their seats, mm-hmm. and if they, that you don't want them to be ahead of you, you want to be ahead of them because then they don't know which way this roller coaster is going to go. What's the number one request that you get from fans? Oh man, I mean, the number one request is longer episodes, which they'll never be. They'll always be twenty three. I'm sorry, I'd happily write longer episodes. I'd happily make more money, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they'll always be that duration. But what I like seeing is like what the fans like hold on to, mm-hmm. and that we kind of like threw in there as like a fun thing, and then we're like, oh, they really like when Josh gave Liza that pass. Everyone was like, well, when's the pass coming back? When's she going to use that pass? Is she going to use that pass when she gets to the Hamptons? You know, and then our last season, we kind of rebuilt all our sets. And so Charles's office looked a little different. People no were like, way. Charles's office wasn't like that. That's not where they had sex. And I was like, how do they notice things? Oh, things? my God. Fans, it's like, it's, you know, it's it's nice that people are like taking such close, you know, like really, really paying attention. <laughs> but sometimes they're paying attention um, more than we are. So in last night's episode, Liza and Charles are really competitive over authors, which at first is very sexy, but then it starts to get like really tense. As the writers of the show, how do you navigate the push and pull between the characters? Like, you know, the ups and the downs and like, this is sexy. No, now it's not so sexy. I think because from episode 601 through to episode 604, we'd sort of been you know, teasing this idea of what is Charles up to? You mm-hmm. know, what's he kind of like doing? Is he starting a company with Zane? And what's that going to mean? And then so the first order of business for this episode was to see that in action. Immediately you think, well, this is going to be bad. You know you know that it's going to put Liza in an awkward position between her boyfriend and her best friend. Yep. So we didn't want to get to that place straight away. We wanted to have some fun with it. And so we kind of wanted to make it sort of like hot until it's not, which is what brought us to like the approval matrix, which is like the hot and not list. This whole idea of sort of like Liza and Charles actually finding the competition sexy, sort of like a, you know, like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So that kind of like that great dance that they're doing where they both know that they're like hitmen and then enjoying the rivalry. We wanted to start with that place mm-hmm. because it's also like a new place for Liza and Charles's relationship. We haven't seen them as peers. We've seen them as like a boss and as assistant. So to be able to see them now both as editors, both kind of competing with each other. It's nice to see, like, there's no power dynamic or power play now. It's it's more like, oh, we're both on an even kill here. And that's kind of, it kind of seductive. It's very seductive. It actually kind of reminds me, now that I'm thinking of it, epiphany of last <laughs> season with Kelsey and Zane a little bit. It's a little them-esque in yes. a good way. I think that we kind of wanted to do something where they were, yeah, like bringing a new sexy dynamic for them. But at the same time, when that stops being sexy, then you've got to deal with what that really means. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's sort of like one of those things where as writers, we're like really protective of the characters and we want to make sure that their choices are always 
grounded and motivated. But then because it's television, we also want them to surprise us. So in this episode, we sort of wanted Charles to show this new colour. Peter Herman did such a great job of keeping, you know, Charles relatable and appealing because what he's doing really isn't that appealing. No. It's kind of underhanded and sort of a... a little insensitive to Liza's relationships. And it's hard to completely justify his actions, but because we yes. love him so much, exactly. we find he ourselves... He does it in such a charming way, and yeah, that yeah, you, you can forgive him up until a point. Well, speaking of the relationship, so the competition is driving a serious wedge between Liza and Kelsey. When Kelsey questions Liza's loyalty, is it out of fear? Is it fair? Like, how do you approach that? I think it is out of fear. Yeah, I think it's challenging because we're, we are very protective of Eliza and Kelsey, more than any relationship on the show. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're at the core of the show, their relationship. Exactly. They're really the great loves of the show. Absolutely. And so we kind of went back and forth a lot about Kelsey's attitude to Liza because Liza's proven, like, time and time again that she's got Kelsey's back. Totally. You know? The thing is, though, now that Charles is their direct competition, yeah. that has changed the dynamic of their friendship yet again. And having Charles Brooks, you know, of the Brooks family, the sort of, like, publishing royalty out now on the street, terrifies Kelsey. That's it's like he used to be on her side. He used to be sort of, like, someone that, like, was shepherding her career. And now... He's sort of like taking kind of like pot shots at it and it doesn't feel great. And she wants to be able to turn to Liza to express those fears. But Liza's compromised. Do you think Kelsey was a little harsh in her request? Or or if not, how do you justify it? The only way I can kind of justify this is like she's a little drunk. She's just spent some time in the slammer. Totally fair. Anyone wouldn't be feeling that great. <laughs> Anyone might maybe say some things that I don't totally mean. I think the thing is with Kelsey in relation to Liza is that, you know, Liza's really good at putting her emotions, kind of like pushing them down. She's really kind of good at putting on a good front, maybe because she lied for so long. So She's wiser. Exactly. She's a bit older. She's wiser. And so whereas Kelsey, her emotions are always like right on the surface, you know, and so if she feels something, she says it. I relate to that. So do I. So do I. (laughs) So I think that Kelsey can be, you know, a little impulsive and can jump to conclusions sometimes. But at the end of the day, she really cares about Liza. I also think deep down, I'm not totally convinced that she likes Charles for Liza. Because I do think that she worries that Charles is potentially holding her back. Mm-hmm. And like right back when we were at, at Charles's upstate house, Kelsey said, don't sleep with the boss. It will not end well for any of us. And she was doing that to protect her friend, but Liza did it anyway. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so I think that, you know, Kelsey, and if anything, saw all these things ahead for them, and yet Liza just, she listened to her heart, not her head. So it's coming from her being a protective friend. Okay, so also in this episode, when Charles drops by the loft and finds Josh and Liza snuggling up with that baby, it's soups awkward. Charles asks Liza if he's competing with Josh, which clearly he is, whether he or Liza or any of them realize it or not. It's like this subconscious thing. Absolutely. So how do you see the love triangle at this point in the series. So I don't see it as a love triangle, honestly. I see Liza and Charles as in love with each other. And I think Liza and Josh are sort of like orbiting each other. They're in each other's worlds. I think now with Josh being a dad, it's matured him. And him being a dad also was a barrier that kind of kept them apart back when they were dating. But I mean, he got that dragon tattoo removed. I don't feel like right now he's really pining for Liza and making a play for Liza. I think she has broken his heart several times over. And I think right now he's like, he's a dad. He's kind of busy making his child an Instagram star. So 
<laughs> That's also true. That's Lauren. That's Lauren. That was really Lauren. Um, I think it's simplistic to say that Josh is competition. I think Charles knows deep down that there's more to Josh than just that. Mm-hmm. I mean, whenever you get those three actors in a scene together, it's so fun. It's so juicy. You know, they very rarely have Josh and Charles intersect. I don't think we've seen them in a scene together since Josh punched Charles. Jeez, Really? Yeah, I'm, I guess so. I might be wrong. I'm sure a fan will comment and correct me, but <laughs> I don't think we have. And so having those three actors like in a scene together is always fun. At the table read, it was like everyone was like, ooh, what's going to happen? And it was also sort of like what we were doing as well is like a callback to Josh's dream from last season's finale of seeing him and Liza on the couch yep. cradling that baby and he had the cacao mother dream. So we kind of wanted to echo that. And then for Charles to, well, misinterpret, but also, like, I mean, what's there to misinterpret as well? His girlfriend and her ex-boyfriend are sitting on a couch with a baby. It's a very cosy family tableau to walk in on. You wouldn't feel great. So what was the reaction to the scene when the cast first read it together (laughs) at the table read? It's funny watching... Peter, Herman, and and Nico uh, in the table read because they sit on opposite sides of the room and then Sutton is, like, in the dead centre. And it's almost like, it's one up for me, and yes, that's one for me. And so, like, Nico was loving this scene because it was, like, a real, like, Josh win. You know, getting to say, like, oh, you two seem good is, like, such a great moment for him to sort of not torture Liza, but just to be like, I was here first. It's a territorial thing, which is, and Sutton just like, she feels like pulled back and forward. It's like being like in the, on the center of like a, a seesaw. So, Like in real life, you know, because I feel like Nico and Peter, like as actors and people respect each other and like each other so much. Yeah. But when they're talking as Josh and Charles, they're a little competitive. They are competitive. Yeah, they are. And I think they enjoy that sort of like competitive rivalry between the two of them as well. So, yeah, no, it was it was a fun scene to read. Uh, and look, you know, not to give away anything from the, but we are going to see Josh and Charles intersect some more this season. Um, yeah, hold on for that. It's real good. Uh, <laughs> also, speaking of Josh, it seems like Team Josh is still hanging on like a question mark, okay? Mm. Even though Liza has moved on with Charles. Is there something... Let me phrase it like this. Can the team Josh peeps hold on to hope? I think they should hold on to some hope. You know, this was always going to be the season that we really explored team Charles. We really want to see Liza and Charles mature into a adult functioning relationship because it gave us an opportunity to kind of expose sides of Charles that Liza hadn't yet seen. You know, like at the end of last season, when he sort of stepped away from his company, even she said, like, who is this guy that I'm suddenly dating? Is he funny? Is he, you know, and we want to kind of like see those sides to him. And you don't really get to see those sides to someone until you really like, everyone puts on a great front to like score the date and maybe date ones through three. But then like, it's really like, month two, month three, you start exposing all the... (laughs) You send out the ambassador, and then once you got him, you're like, I'm a monster. If you had to pick a side, would you be Team Charles or Team Josh? I know, I I have to. Look, I honestly don't have a side. I really don't have a side. I'm always like, when someone is so emphatically one side or the other, I want to know why, and then try and talk them out of it, even though, like, I don't know why I do that. Like, my mom, she's like, oh, well, that Charles is lovely, but I really do think she'll end up with Josh because, like, there's just something about him. She also refuses to call Liza, Liza. She says, Eliza, each time. And I'm like, <laughs> mom, learn the names. Like, but, yeah, I mean, like, we always joke, we're Team Kelsey or we're Team Maggie, but we want Liza to um, to make the decision that's right for her, not feel like she 
is pulled between two men because of their agendas. So you're unbiased, but are there other writers that are biased? Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> I guess the thing that, you know, people who really hold on to Team Josh the most is that you don't want to see him be some sort of like pining puppy. You know, right. you don't want to see him right. just like getting kicked in the teeth and, oh, he's still in love with Lars and he's just hanging around and how tragic is that? Like, we don't want to see that side of him. We want him to have his own stories and to have his own loves and loss. And if his pathway crosses again with Liza, then he comes to it at a fuller place rather than just, well, I've been waiting in the wings. You still want me? You know, Mm -hmm. that's not that attractive. Um, There's a couple pitching a book in this episode called The Third Leg. (laughs) Where did that concept come from? The concept of third leg, I think one of our writers, Alison Brown, pitched it actually. And then (laughs) when I started like doing some more research on it, it, all I could find out was that it was like some kind of like kink play thing or like Mm -hmm. people who were like getting into thruples, no judgments. Um, (laughs) So we sort of like, like basically, you know, repurposed it for the sake of these authors who are, you know, like a renovating couple. But it's sort of this whole idea that, you know, when you are in a long-term relationship, you should probably have this thing that you both focus on and love. Otherwise, you sort of like focus a little bit too much on how the relationship's operating. I mean... You know, like (laughs) it can be, you've got to have hobbies. Yeah, something. And whether that's like, you know, you're sitting around watching Game of Thrones together or you are a renovating couple or you have a dog or whatever it is, like you're both equally pouring your energy and your love and excitement into that rather than just sort of like expecting that the other person's going to bring you everything that you want them to. Very fair. They won't. Um, So it's obvious who the couple is inspired by. Let's go roll. What made you guys choose them? Do we want to say who we think it is? Am I allowed to say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's sort of like a blend between like Chip and Joanna Gaines and also like Tarek and Christina. You know, if the it's like the fixer-upper meet the flip-and-flop couple. They look just like Joanna and Chip, though. Oh, no, they, they do, they do. <laughs> yeah, look, we cast actors who sort of like really nailed that surface renovation cheeriness, you know, where they're always like, we love doing this because we love each other. And then, like, you see them in real life, you're like, oh, they don't love each other that much. <laughs> you know, like, like, I think one renovation couple, like, have had this real public divorce. Yes, yes. And, yeah, so, I was thinking about them actually during this episode a which lot. Which isn't that surprising. Like, if you've ever tried to do any kind of repairs around your house with your partner, it's a disaster. It's like going to, like, Ikea together. Like, it never, it always, for me anyway, it always ends in an argument. So I feel like being a renovation couple is just like, we might as well just get divorced. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. So the book pitches are always extremely relevant and extremely topical and seamlessly woven into the storyline. So how does that come together? Do you guys have like a crystal ball of what's going to be in the zeitgeist? Our writer's room is actually a hot tub time machine. I knew it. So um, we've all seen each other naked and we go back in time and in the future. So... How do you really do it, for real? Because it, it blows our minds every season. Sometimes it's sort of like you just suddenly realize that you are uh, on the zeitgeist of something you don't realize. Sometimes it's kismet. Sometimes we write something and then, like, when we were doing the um, prequel series to um, to our Game of Thrones ripoff, we're always like, okay, this is going to be a fun way to bring this character back. And then as we were writing it and as it was about to go to air, then HBO announced, oh, we're doing a prequel series to Game of Thrones. We were like someone's a spy in our room. Like literally. 
<laughs> so, yeah, I think sometimes it's just coincidental, but I think it's also because we read a lot. We also have a publishing consultant who sort of, we jump on the phone with him once a week and he kind of tells us, you know, like publishing trends and what's hot out there and some things we sort of like adjust to suit our narrative. But it's always fun when life imitates art and then art imitates life. I, I find myself every season being like, how the hell did they pull that off? Like, <laughs> when did they write this? Literally. We also do a lot of rewrites. We are rewriting up until 10 seconds before we say rolling. So we can adjust certain things to make them more contemporary. But yes, full characters and stories, we definitely break months ahead. Well, speaking of doing the rewrites and then being on set, that's what I want to get into next. So one of the funniest scenes in the episode is when Diana and Kelsey get arrested. (laughs) Can you talk us through what happened in the scene and how it came together as you were writing it? And then also I want to break down how it was shot on set and like your involvement with that. Sure, sure. Okay, so, um, you know, obviously with this competition theme going throughout the episode, it was going to end up being that Liza has to choose a side and she's got, you know, she's hearing Charles's real motivations for starting this company and then she's also kind of on the offside with Diana and Kelsey. So that means that we had an opportunity for Diana and Kelsey to be off on their own and whenever we pair those two together, mm. they're just like a messy duo, which we love. <laughs> we love. I mean, going all the way back to like Marie's Crisis. Yes. You know, so, which we brought I, back this season. I so I, my favorite place in the world. Yeah. So I, I'm like cavelling. Yeah. I pitched Marie's Crisis a lot when I first joined the show because it was like, it's like the Australian tourist thing to do. Like when I got married here, I think like our um, celebrant and our MC, they spent like four nights in a row all at Marie's Crisis. I'm like, I think you guys need to stop drinking because you've got to turn up to this wedding in a couple of days. Oh my God. Um, it is a black hole. You it will- is a You'll be like, it's 4 a.m. on a Tuesday? Why am I drinking so much scotch? Out of a plastic cup. It's always a plastic cup. Always. Yeah, it was really fun to get Kelsey and Diana back together. And they're kind of like angry and they're drunk and they're throwing axes Mm -hmm. and just trying to find a funny out to that scene. Pissing in the street. I mean, really, like, we've all done it. All the time. I've been arrested by the police before for peeing. Um, I have. So did the storyline come from you? The thing is, like, it's really hard to know sometimes. We throw out so much material in the room like I know I throw out more than I should and I usually just get like a blank look back from Darren like what is your life what are you how are you still alive um (laughs) so I've definitely like was peeing in the front garden of some place once and the cops came along and and my my aunt is actually a policewoman and so she said whatever you do don't get in the back of the police van because they're revolting and I've seen some shit and it's disgusting. <laughs> talk your way out of getting in that van. Just talk your way out of it. So we had this opportunity for like Dinah and Kelsey to be doing this crazy thing. And when we did the table read, Miriam, who plays Diana so spectacularly well, took me aside and she's like, Diana, peeing in a street. I mean, really, would she do that? I'm like, she absolutely would not. But we're doing it. But that's and why. then on the night that we were shooting, we were out in Bushwick. It was a really rough night. It was cold. Then it started raining for an hour, so we had to stand around. Anyway, so Miriam was asking me, like, you know, how drunk is she? Like, she doesn't want Diana to come across as too clowny. You know, we we want to keep her rigidity always there. But then when we were shooting, (laughs) Miriam's like, do you mind if I, like, just run off? after one take and I was like I mean if it feels right to so she didn't want to come off as too clowny but then like she ended up like making the scene so much bigger than 
than what it was like scripted as, but it was hilarious. So we were like, we definitely kept it in. Well, that's so interesting. So what is the most important to you to capture as like the scene goes from the pages to like actually the screen? Like how do you transfer that? The most important thing is tone. So we don't mind if the dialogue adjusts a little, you know, the staging and how we kind of pictured it. That's really more of the director and the actor's decisions as they rehearse the scene before we shoot. But for us, we want to ensure that, like, the tone of the scene comes through because there's certain lines of dialogue that have to be said in a certain way to set up certain episodes down the line. And as the writer on set, we know where the bodies are buried. We know what's happening in the next two, three episodes, even next season. So we sort of have to kind of be aware that we don't, the tone of this particular scene has to sit in a... I don't know, like a domino set. Does the cast and do the directors not know no, those things? No, oh. no, they don't. No. Look, the director comes in and directs two episodes at one time. They, they We kind of like cross-board two episodes. So they're shooting already out of order. And then the cast are performing out of order. And then even this season, we had to like flip some episodes around. So I think we shot episode five and six before we shot episodes three and four. So... As the writer, we kind of have to be like the continuity. We're like, well, that hasn't happened yet. And then what happens is this. And then, but we're also like holding on to things down the line that we hope might happen. I mean, actually, there was a that night because we had like it started raining for an hour. So I was there on set with Sutton and Miriam and Hillary. And they all know that I'm like the easiest get when it comes to asking what's going to happen next. Like, what's the story? Like, mm-hmm. just like they're like, I'll go to the Australian. He's like got loose lips. So I end up like, well, this is what happens. And then this happens and this happens. But I was like, but also, so, like, all this could change and might change, and pretty much everything I told them has changed. No kidding. Yeah, it's just like we adjust so much and we revise so much. And Darren, as a showrunner, like, he likes to plan up until a point, but then he likes to sort of trust his sort of, like, late impulses and doesn't like being too far ahead of us because when you start seeing the episodes come in in editing, a different story can sort of, like, come to the surface that we weren't aware of that you want to kind of, like, steer towards. And then how do you as a writer interact with the director? We're so lucky. We've had directors that come back really regularly. So, like, uh, the director of this episode was uh, Todd Beerman and I've worked with him a lot he directed another of my episodes which was the Irish Goodbye the island set episode so um, you usually let the director and the actors do their rehearsal you know and have their thing because it's the director and the actor relationship is a very special one and it's not up to the writer to sort of like step in on that and then usually you'll either have a note or two privately to the director after the rehearsal or you'll wait and see what happens after a take or two because actors might find new things once the scene starts filming and directors might make new choices. And so the writers are sort of there kind of like a silent passenger until suddenly we need to make a note because not because it's wrong but because it just needs like a slight tone adjustment also it was hilarious that Kelsey's still holding the axe from the bar (laughs) which obviously escalates the entire thing it's ultimately why they get arrested yes exactly yeah was that always a part of the script or was that kind of a decision that came like in the moment watching them with the axes it was in the script because we really had to try and find a way like well you don't get arrested for peeing in the street you might get cited you might get a fine right but do you really kind of get arrested so having a weapon you get arrested yeah and that kind of like also tied together the axe throwing with that scene so it kind of made the axe throwing not just a fun location to shoot at Mm -hmm. also a really dangerous location to shoot at we saw like a video like a week after we finished shooting this of this girl (laughs) at kick axe throwing an axe and the axe then bounced back (gasps) and like went flying over her head oh my god 
we were using fake axes. We were using plastic axes for the cast, even though Hillary was like, I don't get to use a real axe. Huh? <laughs> I was like, no, you are way too expensive for us to be using real axes on. Yeah. We were throwing real axes in the background. Our extras in the, yeah, they were doing it for real. So Damn. Yeah. We live on the edge. What made you guys pick that scene for the actual episode? I mean, we're always trying to find fun places to, like, you know, to show a slice of New York life. Yes. And, you know, we've done the shuffleboarding place, which is where um, Pauline had her launch for Marriage Vacation, Um, obviously Marie's Crisis. You know, we kind of, like, want to explore different kind of trends and hotspots through the city. Um, and, yeah, this axe-throwing thing is the, is the new darts, apparently. So. I got to go. You guys are like a travel agency for Brooklyn and Manhattan. <laughs> I know. We really should be making some money off, like, the New York mayor's you office. You really should. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then was it meaningful that Enzo got to bail them out instead of Liza. Look, I think it helps Kelsey get to her place because Liza wasn't there for her when she wanted her to be. Enzo being there was more to kind of close the thread of Diana and Enzo in that episode, which was, you know, her attitude is like, Enzo and I don't need a third leg. We're perfect. We're fantastic. We speak Italian. Like when they're supposed to go for dinner, he's got to go to work. So for him to be there was sort of like to prove once again that these two are so compatible. You know, they do have a third leg. And it's that like Enzo just adores Diana and is always going to be there for her. So that's something you want to see. Their third leg is their love. Yeah. Joe, our time is almost over. So now let me ask you the five questions I ask every younger writer. Number one, how often do your personal experiences end up in a script? You told us about the peeing, so. (laughs) All the time. You know, Darren encouraged us to bring our stories to the room. You know, you kind of want the characters to feel like their lives, you know, are grounded in reality. And what's more real than our <laughs> terrible, harrowing dating experiences. Um, yeah, lots of my life have made it in there. That time that Kelsey took Colin to that club and spanked him, I was the one getting spanked in oh, real life. excuse yep. me. Yeah, and uh, that time then, uh, another of my episodes is when uh, uh, Kelsey, Lauren, and Josh are upstate and all the furniture is shaped like dicks. Yeah. So I had, a, you experienced I had an experience <laughs> where I was... <laughs> Look, look, there was a house, there was dicks, okay? I didn't get into any more than that, but... <laughs> You're like, doesn't that explain it? <laughs> That's enough. It was That's a enough. dick house, okay? I stayed at the dick house. Um, and then I think <laughs> I told a story this season, which actually is playing in the next episode, episode six. I won't say too much, but I got really high when I was in Ibiza and um, sort of went on a wander through a forest and ended up engaging with some... Anyway, it's something that Liza experiences in the next episode. So when we watch Liza in the next episode, we're watching you. (laughs) Yes, unfortunately. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's pretty. uh, Yeah, I've done some shameful things. You know what though? The silver lining is whenever you do something naughty, it's like, well, at least it's good for my work. I'll put it on the page. That's how I feel. Okay, (laughs) number two. What's your favorite scene or line you've written for younger ever? Uh, That's like picking your favorite child. I know. It is. It is. It's it's so tiny, but there was uh, it was probably because it was in the first episode I wrote, and it was yeah that same Dick House episode, and <laughs> so um, Charles has just had that outburst to Liza in the episode before, like you know if you're going to date someone in publishing, why isn't it me? And so then he he didn't turn up to the office, and so Diana and Liza intersect at his office, mm-hmm. and Charles hasn't come in, and so Diana says. You know, Charles didn't come to the office. And this has never happened before, not even during Hurricane Sandy when he marched his thoroughbred thighs up all those stairs. 
he's so brave. <laughs> I, I always have fun writing Diana, like, just still lusting after Charles, even though, like, the ship has sailed. Right? Okay, uh, number three, have you ever had to fight for something to get into an episode? Yeah, again, all the time. I seem to be, like, sort of like the Black Widow when it comes to Maggie and Diana. Like, I've had two times to, to introduce those characters mm-hmm. in my episodes, and both times the scenes were written, shot, and cut. And <laughs> and we kind of like, you know, because Miriam and Debbie are so fantastic and you want to see these two women like yeah. engaging with each other, but my episodes were too long or tonally they just didn't fit with the episode. But, you know, I fought and fought and tried to find ways to keep them in, but alas, didn't make it. Number four, which character would you most want to hang out with in real life? Oh, Kelsey. But that's because I'm just, I'm a drinker. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tequila shots It would together. be one of those nights that axe throwing and getting arrested in the street, most likely. Yeah. <laughs> or wait, did she throw a rock through Josh's window or something? Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like she, yep. she really is that friend. She is that friend, <laughs> yeah. She's a ride or die, and it's likely it'll end in the ladder. Number five, what's the best thing about working on Younger? It's not working. You know, it's actually, it's, it's such a dream job of hanging out with people that you love, which are the writers, and then coming to set and realizing, that, oh my God, I also love the cast and I love the crew. It is such a dream experience and I'll never have it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it really is so special. And that's the thing is, it's this everything, right? It's the yes. show, it's the cast yeah. that makes it so much fun. It really is. Yep. Yep. It starts from Darren and Sutton being just like lovely people that enjoy working and making sure that everyone around them and also enjoys working. And so, yeah, we just get to bask in that kind of like golden glow for the majority of the year. So, yeah, it's it's great and I never want it to end. I know, me neither. Let's keep it going forever. <laughs> I mean, Grey's Anatomy's on like season 27. Yeah, come on. What are they writing about after all those seasons? Yeah, you can do that. I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. This has been so much fun. Thanks, Taylor. We're out of time. Thank you so much, Joe Murphy, for giving us uh, this little sneak peek inside the Younger's writer room. I know I'm not the only one who cannot wait to see what you have in store for the rest of the season. I'll be right back here after next week's episode and every new episode to unpack it all. I'm Taylor Strecker, and this is Younger Uncovered. <laughs> 